You're listening to The Final Call with Chelsea Mendelson and Anthony Perrell. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to The Final Call. It's episode 10, officially in double digits. Um, I'm Chelsea Mendelson alongside, as always, Anthony Ferrero. So glad to have you guys following along on this journey with us, diving deep into sports every week. Um, We're going to start off with something we covered in the last episode, Um, something that a lot of people were calling for, and it is the Team USA coach for the women's soccer team that didn't do as well as everybody was hoping, Vlatko Andonovsky. He resigned today, today as we're recording this being August 16th, so it'll have been a few days um, when y'all are listening to this. Um, but it was something that I think a lot of people were kind of expecting him to get fired r- rather than resign, um, but he resigned. Uh, and I I don't know. I think it was probably necessary for them to move on from him, though, considering how things ended up. I think a lot of times when you look at situations like this, the coach is the first person to go. Whether it's justified or not, they're just really the scapegoat in a lot of these situations in all of sports. Um, Whether it's the players or not, they're not going to admit that ownership or the front office isn't going to admit they failed whoever, you know, worked on putting the team together. So the coach is always going to be the first one to go. I don't know. Um, I think, to be honest, I think they have more problems than just a coach. Um, Could the coach have contributed to that? Sure. I don't, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know any of that stuff. Uh, but I I think their problems run a little bit deeper. Um, whether it was the positions the players were in by the coach, that's the formation he wanted, I don't know. But the players didn't look particularly sharp out there. There were certainly moments. But overall, as a team, it just didn't look like one cohesive unit as we've seen in the past. Part of that could be to do with coaching but I, I think the problems are going to persist longer. I don't know if I expected him to get fired. I know soccer in general is a really cutthroat sport. If you're expected to do really well and you fall short, even if you're, say, finish top 10 in your league, if you were expected to finish top four and you didn't make it, you are getting fired. Whether that's justified or not, it doesn't matter because you will – be sent out the door and a new guy will be hired in your place. It's just the way soccer is. So seeing something like this happen, I get it. It's kind of interesting to, to me to see the exact opposite happening with men's soccer. They keep having their head coach stick around and he's sticking around and both players, players, families, different people have come out and said, Hey, Greg Bernhardtler, they should probably fire this guy for the men's soccer national team. And so far he's still the coach. The opposite on the women's side of things. A little bit of problems seem to be happening, and he resigns. Maybe he notices something deeper, doesn't want to get blamed for it, so he got out of the way. We don't know. This is just the information that we've been given, and he is no longer the head coach. Yeah, and and um, I did expect him to get fired, frankly. Um, and I'll say this. You know, I, I agree with you. You can't fully blame the coach for sure. Like there were other issues. Like if you have the greatest team in the world on paper, it shouldn't matter who's coaching you. You should be the best team in the world and play like it. And they didn't do that. 
but I think a big part of it was the coach. I think a lot of people, including myself, questioned um, what players he was putting where in a lot of different situations, and um, that does come down to the coach. Uh, and I think when you have a roster that is as good as Team USA's, um, your first move isn't to, you know, pick up different players next time. Your first, especially, you know, four years from now, those players are going to be in totally different places in their lives. The first move is to get rid of the coach. Um, so I thought that they were going to fire him for sure. Um, I wasn't expecting him to resign, uh, but I think that it's the the a really important next step for this team to have someone else at the helm and just see where they can take it in four years. When it comes to sports, resignation is really just a fun way of saying, hey, we're going to fire you anyway. So if you want to leave with a little bit more dignity, we'll allow you to resign. That way we don't fire you. It's going to make you look better. That typically is what happens. So I feel like they may have let him know, hey, like we're looking in a different direction. So he resigned to kind of jumpstart that process. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I think if everyone is expecting this team to perform and look differently in four years from now, I don't think that's going to happen. Now, could they make it a little farther? Maybe. Spain has a 19-year-old running around who looks phenomenal. She's going to be better when she's 23. Like, these teams are not going anywhere. These are not old, aging teams. These are really good young teams that are performing well now. They're probably going to be better in four years. I, You know, as a whole, this is just really awkward space for Team USA because they've never been here. Well, I mean, they have a while ago, but recently they've never been here. They've been the top of the sport, and they proved it year in, year out. It didn't matter what was happening. They rallied around each other, and they were a concrete group. And they really performed together in a lot of different circumstances. That was not the case this year at all. And part of that may have been due to there was a lot of new faces. That's why I don't think all this is the coach. I think the firing of the coach is sort of a knee-jerk reaction to saying that was bad. Something has to change. Coach, go. That was kind of what I felt like. Now, is it the wrong knee-jerk reaction? I don't know. You know, we'll figure that out in four years. But I do feel like it was a little bit of a knee-jerk. Maybe after another year or two of training before the next four years, you see they saw something they didn't like. They decided to move on. But I don't know. I don't think this is going to change that much. It depends on who they hire. And, you know, not a lot of big name coaches are looking to coach Team USA national team. Most high level coaches are coaching somewhere else in Europe. So. We'll see what ends up happening moving forward and who gets hired in a spot. I just don't I don't think this is gonna change a lot going forward in four years. I mean, in only time will tell. Uh, you know, it's not like the NBA where we're like, oh, we'll see what happens next season. Um, can't do that because next season is four years from now. So, you know, all the teams in in the in the world that play in the world cup are probably going to be in different situations. Uh, and USA is just going to be one of them. That is a team that we're not really sure what to expect from them this year. We expected a world cup championship and we didn't see that. So 
that'll definitely be something to follow in the next few years. <laughs> but uh, for now, we're going to stick with um, a guy who is playing really well in soccer, staying with soccer, Messi, now playing in the U.S. for Miami, Inter-Miami. Uh, mm-hmm. He has been lights out. He's been incredible. He has been, in the eyes of many, further proving his case for the GOAT. Um, I don't know if playing in the MLS is what, in my opinion, proves that you're the GOAT. Like, kind of below him. But he's bringing a team that was one of the worst, if not the worst, in the MLS to the finals. So, uh, And he's been playing out of his mind. I mean, he looks incredible. I think you also have to consider his age into that argument. He's really getting up there. And I think, you know, if he's 26, 27 doing this, then you're right. You have a point of like, hey, like, is this guy really good? He's clearly better than anyone in the MLS. What are we really doing? But he's up there in age. So he got old. He did everything that he could do in Europe and in Spain and all those leagues. And he decided, hey, I am going to go to the U.S. I'm sure he's friends with people. It's kind of the last thing that we saw Zlatan Ibrahimovic did the same thing. He said, I've done everything over here. Let me go to Europe and be the, or let me, excuse me, let me go to America and be the best player in that league. And he did that for a number of years. Messi's coming over and doing the same. And I'm sure he's making quite a big bag from David Beckham, who owns Inter Miami. But he's looked phenomenal. And I thought of this comparison Messi coming to America and playing in the MLS is like if LeBron James went to the Spanish Basketball League and was just lighting guys on fire. People back here in the States may say, hey, well, that doesn't really add to his GOAT status because he's not playing, you know, premier talent all the time. But it's still really cool to see nonetheless. And it's a huge deal for American fans. Because this guy is one of the best soccer players, which is not a premier sport in America at this time. It's, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, depending on where you live and what you're doing. So to see a guy of his caliber come over here and have so much success right away, honestly, it's not like it took him a while to kind of ramp up and get to where he is now. No, this is immediately plug in, play him, and the stadiums are sold out everyone wants to see him play it's honestly just really fun to see and i love seeing soccer celebrated so well here in the states and i saw for his next game which i think is the championship if i'm not mistaken um the cheapest ticket was like 640 something dollars so people are paying top dollar to see this man play and i don't really blame him um you know he's somebody that the typical american has never seen unless they've gone to Europe. And now that he's playing in a fairly, you know, more approachable place. I mean, America's a big place. I'm personally not driving to Florida to watch him play. Um, but people could in theory. Um, I think his next game is in Nashville, I think. I'm I'm really not following the MLS that much. I kind of just see the tweets about Messi. Um, but you know. People are coming from, I'm sure, all over the world, if not just the country, uh, to watch him play. And he's been playing at a really high level. And I think if they do end up winning the championship after 
being, I think it, they had record-wise, like, the worst, and they were the worst team, maybe, in the MLS before he joined. So if you bring a team like that all the way to the championship, that's definitely saying something. Um, and I agree with what you said, that, you know, if he was in his prime lighting those guys up in the MLS, no one would ever be like, yeah, well, it's messy. Um, but that's kind of how I feel now, and maybe I should. <laughs> like, maybe I should be like, you know, the guy is kind of old in sports terms, and he's playing ridiculously well against guys that are still pro level. You know, obviously he's not like lighting high schools up or anything. <laughs> you know, so these are like no slouches for sure. Um, but yeah, he's been. I've I've enjoyed watching his highlights. Uh, he's been making some crazy, unreal goals. He I think is tied for like the most goals on his team. And he's played significantly less games than the guy that he's tied for. Uh, so, you know, he's, you know, the U.S. Is, is lucky to have him now all of a sudden, as opposed to having to watch him from thousands of miles away. This really puts a little bit of jump in his step from his perspective. I'm sure he was, he has some contract disputes previously with teams, PSG and whatnot. And he just, didn't seem to be as happy ever since he left Barcelona. It just didn't really seem to work out super well in his favor. He goes to the MLS and he is playing great. Everybody loves him. I'm sure it kind of gives him a new, newfound confidence, makes life more exciting again. You're actually playing very well instead of a team that you know is looking to play a lot of high-profile players and like, yeah, you're messy. You're still awesome. But I'm trying to play this other guy who right now is playing better than you. In the MLS, that's not an option. Messi's not on your team. I'm playing Messi. Everyone's going to come and watch him. It's very similar and not entirely, but box office effect is very similar to like Otani in baseball. Wherever Otani goes, however much money the contract is worth that you're paying him, it's going to be worth it because everybody's going to go see him play. Messi's the same way right now. It doesn't matter. Really, honestly, even if he wasn't scoring as much as he is, because his name is Messi, he's going to attract people to go to the games and to watch the games online and everything like that. And once you add into the fact that he's playing extremely well and he's scoring a lot of goals in typical Messi fashion, that just adds to the legend that is Lionel Messi. And it's just so fun to watch. And also, he's coming off of a World Cup win. Uh, and, you know, you saw how much his country rallied around him with that. And he played pretty well in that. And, you know, he's just had a great year or two. And he's, like, ne definitely nearing the end of his career. So to be playing like this at a fairly high level, again, not the highest level he's played for sure, um, but to be playing like this this late in his career, that's why – everyone is so hyped up about it is because he's further proving that he's one of the greatest ever to do it. Yeah. Everything about it is just very impressive to be honest. I like, I, I don't know what else to say. It's just, it's fun to watch. I've, I've always been a messy fan. I've always been really a soccer fan. That was one of the sports I commentated at GCU. I've always just been a big soccer fan, not having all the time to watch all the big European games, but I keep track of what's happening and what's going down over there to see a guy like Messi, who I've always been a fan of come here to the States 
uh, you know, even if it's far away, still watching the games, seeing him play in an MLS uniform is honestly great for us as Americans watching the sport, but also great for the MLS. This is a high profile guy coming over and playing for the sport. If more people in America can get interested in soccer, play more, even because of him, just make the MLS better as a whole. It's it's great all the way around. And also, you said watching him play in an MLS uniform. Those inner Miami uniforms are so nice. nice. I love the pink. I love all the Miami teams that go with the pink. I love it. I know a lot of people don't love it. I think the Miami Vice thing is so cool. Um, People can hate on it all they want, but I think it's cool. But um, let's move on here to our next topic. Um, If you want to take it away, Anthony. Yeah, let's do it. So one of the things that happened really a while ago and we just never got around to talking about it because it was it was happening and then it wasn't happening and then more might have followed and it really didn't so we're kind of going to be back to it now college realignment in athletics looks wildly different uh, than it did about a year ago at this time the pac-12 essentially no longer exists it basically dissolved almost entirely the four corner schools, that being Utah, Colorado, Arizona State, and Arizona, are going to end up going to the Big 12, as well as Washington and Oregon going to the Big 10. Keep in mind, this is following USC and UCLA going to the Big 10, which we knew about already. That happened about a year ago. And then Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC, which again, we knew about. Happened over a year ago. We knew that was coming. So many big moves in college football. The big one, though, this time, obviously, was really the Pac-12 fully, mostly fully, I guess. Just dissolving. And ultimately, it came down to the TV rights deal. That was the big thing that happened. Pac-12 was up for a TV rights deal. It looked like, hey, who was going to pick them up? Who's going to be the one? No one really wanted to. And then Apple joined the cause. Leadership. George Klyovkov, leader of the Pac-12, took this Apple membership deal, deal excuse me, that you had, which basically means that you had to be a subscriber of Apple TV Plus to watch Pac-12 games, which is a full subscriber-based model. Very difficult to do and actually attract people to if you're a Pac-12 school. So they kind of shook their heads, punted on the conversation, and went and jumped ship, joined a different conference, which I think was the right move, and we'll get we'll get there a little later. But this just came down to TV rights, and they just didn't have the money anymore to have the Pac-12 to match some of these other deals. So teams left. They got more money. It was better for their athletic department. And here we are. You know, I you know I never thought we'd get to this point. I remember you know being in Arizona. My sister went to of A. I would watch Pac-12 basketball mainly because that's where U of A was really good. I watched Bill Walton and Dave Pash commentate Pac-12 basketball. It was the Conference of Champions. Bill Walton would always say that. The Conference of Champions. It was always the big thing. And now the Conference of Champions is destroyed. It's been conquered. It is essentially no more. It's just really a sad sight to see. And I agree with that. Um, I also grew up watching the Pac-12, mostly football, because my parents are huge Duck fans. 
Um, so I grew up a Duck fan. Um, my mom went to U of O and a lot of my other family members went to U of O. My dad didn't go to U of O, but he says that he partied there. So he might as well have. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, you know, I watched the Pac-12 too, is what I'm saying. And so to see it kind of fall apart, like I remember when it became the Pac-12, it was the Pac-10 for most of my childhood. Oh, yeah. And I remember that was a huge deal. And now they're essentially the Pac-4 right now. And um, it's just really, it's really sad. Um, but I think it's it's definitely going to change the landscape of college sports in general. Um, I've heard a lot of people, specifically former Ducks coach Chip Kelly, um, he said uh, that he would like them to just not have conferences and kind of just everyone's sort of independent. And then you have like the quote unquote power five schools are all just all one conference. And then the other schools that are D one are just like another conference kind of, and I don't hate that idea. And people have been throwing that around. I don't think that's going to happen because of the way that TV deals are, but you and I kind of talked about how important TV deals and, and money in general in college sports is in our NIL uh, in the episode, we talked about NIL deals. Um, and that, this is just another example of that. Um, these schools are moving from the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 couldn't get their crap together. And they wanted to go with a TV deal that was not going to benefit these schools really at all. Um, and you and I have seen the subscriber-based stuff um, with GCU, and they're in the whack. And the only way to watch pretty much all of their streams is if you subscribe to ESPN+. Plus which was something I already had. So that wasn't a big deal to me. Same, but like same to me. People that we know that didn't had to subscribe to ESPN plus, or they're like, well, I'm not doing that. And so they miss the games and whatever it may be. Um, and that's what you would see with this. I don't have Apple TV. I certainly wasn't going to get it to watch the occasional duck game. Absolutely not. Um, and so it's just, yeah, it's unfortunate that it went this way and, I saw, I can't remember where he coached. I think I want to say Mizzou. I just don't know. I think Mizzou football, I want to say. The coach said, you know, when these schools decided to leave their conferences and stuff like that, they were thinking about money. They weren't thinking about the student-athlete. They weren't thinking about the student-athlete that has a 7 a.m. class and the night before they're having to ride on a super long bus ride or a plane ride or whatever it may be because the schools that are in their conference now are on the entire other coast. You know, nobody, nobody's thinking about the student athlete. Like, and we talked about, we've talked about before how important student athlete mental health is. And I think for a lot of the schools that are changing conferences, this is not going to help at all. Um, and so I think that's something that needs to be considered. Um, but it's already a done deal. These schools are going to these conferences. I just hope that they make some kind of divisions or something like that that makes things better for the student athlete. But unfortunately, student athletes are never prioritized. Um, and that's why they kind of have to make their own money via NIL because they're not getting paid by their schools to do this stuff. And it's just really unfortunate the way that it's worked out. Uh, and I just hope that the student athletes are treated as they should for having to completely change how they're playing. I've seen student athletes that are playing on the West Coast right now who picked those schools because they were somewhat close to home. Sometimes they would travel for games to wherever they're from. You know, if they're from Oregon, they go to a California school because maybe they'll go to Oregon sometimes or vice versa. But now 
you're splitting up these conferences and they're going to be playing in Florida or Texas or whatever, and which is much further away than they thought. And so you might see even more transfers a year from now than we're already seeing right now with the way that the transfer portal is set up. So my point on that whole rant is that we're just going to see college sports landscape change entirely again. I think this will be the biggest thing since the transfer portal was kind of unleashed. Um, And you're going to see a lot of athletes moving around because of this. And you're going to see a lot of teams playing teams never played before. You're going to see teams that thought they were good, maybe not look as good in these new conferences or look really good in new conferences. You're going to see a lot of both. Um, It's just going to completely change how we view every single school that is involved in this. So touching on one of the points you made, I'm really glad you brought it up, was the student-athlete point of view of it. And it was the Missouri coach. Yes, you were right. It was him who said, hey, what about the student-athlete and all this? I was thinking about this, and I actually talked with a buddy earlier this week about this topic and some of the things going on here. I think what they're going to have to end up doing is they're going to go on road trips to these states. So if you're a, I'm going to speak, because we're from Arizona, if you're one of the four corner schools who just joined the Big 12, that means you're going to play Baylor, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, teams of that nature. You're playing them. What this now means is that you're probably going to end up having road trips through Texas, multiple at a time. It's not going to be a back and forth. I don't think that I don't think they're going to be that bad to student athletes. I don't think they're going to make you go cross country in a week. What I think they could do to help this situation is do road trips at the different colleges, but then also have tutors, have classes available for these students to go to and to learn. So while you're almost staying at these universities, you can get the tutors and the necessary things that you need while you're staying there to keep up on schooling, to help with mental health, all these different things. You can still keep those up while you're on the road and going across these big trips. Because as you mentioned, life as a student athlete is already hard enough as it is. They have they have tutors in there. They're doing their best. You can take a massive toll on mental health between the sport and the travel and just everything surrounding it. It is a lot. So to add even more travel to put on their plate, it's almost entirely too much. So I think little moves like this to have tours in there, to spend more road trips as a whole together could really benefit them instead of going home and away, home away, home away to just do big, long, like three game road trips where you just kind of stay in Texas the whole time or wherever you're going to end up being. I think that might be the way to move forward the best. We'll see what they end up doing. You know, this obviously this is being talked about a lot because of football. And that's the big reason why, obviously, because that's the big driver. That's the big money-making sport in college. But if you're the Big 12, you just got Baylor and Arizona basketball twice a year. That's massive. For sure. Like, I, I know we're talking football because that's the big one. And, you know, Big 10 really benefited by adding Washington and Oregon, other sports as well, but especially football, really big for the Big Ten. Big 12 here, your big football school, I say that in quotes, it's going to be Utah. Uh, Colorado is Deion Sanders. We're going to see 
how long that happens, how good they really are. But really, Utah, out of the four corner schools, basketball-wise, to get a high-quality program in Baylor to go against a high-quality program in Arizona twice a year, that's that's just massive. And even We're talking those, men's basketball, but their women's basketball teams are both exactly, really good in schools too. So. As a sport, basketball in general, both men's and women's, massive for that. Baseball as well. Arizona and Arizona State baseball are both really solid teams, really solid programs. Utah and Colorado have some good moments here and there. Just to add them to everywhere else really is good. It's sad to see what is happening to the Pac-12, but massive opportunities for both the Big 12 and the Big 10. Absolutely huge. The student-athlete, though, as you mentioned, does need to be the priority. I imagine they'll equip some sort of tutoring program. I assume, like I said, they will utilize some sort of a road trip instead of doing a more traditional home and away or like I'm going to be two games on the road and then come back home for a couple. I imagine it'll be more of a three, four game road trip. Or I think you may see more neutral sites take place, especially for football. If it's Arizona and Texas, could you see a neutral site game be played somewhere? Maybe you go to Vegas to play in the Raiders stadium for a neutral site game. I have no idea. I'm just throwing random ideas out here. I think you could see more ways to bridge the gap between distance in order to help the student athletes. Overall, it's just, it's weird because, you know, we're used to the Pac-12 and their power five school or power five conference full of power five schools. It's just, it's eerie. It's weird to see. Honestly, I, I'm glad the schools jumped. I think that was kind of transitioning here. I think that was where I was happy to see them go. Kind of seeing the writing on the wall, especially being from Arizona. You know, my like I said, my sister went to U of A. So I'm I you know like U of A sports to an extent. And so I would like to see them as well as ASU, again, I'm from Arizona, to make the right decision athletically here. I wanted to see that happen. U of A seemed to be on board. ASU wasn't really on board yet. They had to go back to the drawing board, eventually got them out of there. I think that overall was the correct move. We'll see what that ends up meaning for a lot of different things. You know, these these moves won't fully happen for another couple of years. Will they finalize everything, finalize schedules and whatnot? So we're not going to see it exactly quite yet, but it's it's really crazy out here. Between NIL and the NIL changes, the transfer portal. And now the teams are almost playing the transfer portal and NIL deals of their own. Where can I go leave my current conference? Oh, this this conference is offering me more money. Sorry, guys. I got to I gotta go join this money. It's, it's very reminiscent of what players are doing with NIL. It's really crazy out here in the college environment. Yeah, and that was kind of the point I was making in the beginning is that um... – you know, when you de- you do decide to go to a school for, you know, let's say, let's say I'm from Arizona and I decided to commit to UCLA because I know I'll be in Arizona at least like twice a year. Um, maybe that's not the case anymore. Um, and so, you know, you might, you're going probably going to see a lot of transfers a year from now um, or throughout the year, 
when different sports seasons are over and stuff like that. Um, but back to your point of, of the road trips, um, you kind of already see schools doing that uh, in the non-conference because, uh, you know, for those who don't really follow college sports, um, the beginning of your season is always non-conference play. So you'll play schools. If you're in the Pac-12, you'll play schools from the SEC. You'll play schools from the Big Ten. You'll play schools from the WAC. You're not always playing Power 5 schools. Um, and then you'll start conference play. But a lot of times you see those road trips. So, for example, um, I'm using this as an, exa- as an example because I'm commentating the GCU Mississippi State women's, uh, women's soccer game tomorrow. Um, and they're making kind of a road trip. They're playing GCU tomorrow, which is Thursday. And then Sunday, they're going down to Tempe to play ASU. And then they're uh, going back home after that. So you kind of already see, you know, they'll play two Arizona teams. Um, Oregon's doing that with GCU and NAU. Um, They'll play two Arizona teams and then go home. And so I think maybe you'll just see that kind of thing during conference play more so. So if there's a school in the conference with ASU and U of A, they might play both of them and then go home. And, or they'll play both of them and then also play maybe a California school and then go home or something like that. I think you're right. I think they have to do that logistically. Um, And so it's going to be really interesting to see how those schedules kind of play out. Um, But as you said, we're kind of a couple of years from that, at least a year from that. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's completely changing the landscape of um, college sports and it's going to change how athletes decide what's what schools to go to and how long maybe they stay at those schools. Because again, the transfer portal is still wide open. You can still kind of just transfer whenever you want with very, very, very little limitations. Um, and so I think it's just so chaotic right now that I almost wonder if a lot of people are going to tune out of college sports just because it's, it's just so different than it used to be. And it's very chaotic Um, but I think we're going from a system that kind of prioritized and benefited athletes the last couple of years to a program that, or to a system that is once again, going back to benefiting the colleges and benefiting the conferences and benefiting the NCAA. Um, and so I just hope that they kind of bring it back to even where like the schools are still profiting where they were, but the players aren't being completely burned out and having to go on ridiculous road trips and then having a 7 a.m. class after they get back and, you know, stuff like that. So I really hope that these schools that are making these moves and the schools that are already in the conferences that are kind of absorbing the Pac-12, I hope that they all make the right decisions to benefit their players. At the end of the day, I really couldn't care less if the schools are profiting a lot. I'm much more concerned about these athletes as people because no matter what decision they end up making, these schools are still making millions of dollars. Um, And so I'm more concerned about these student athletes who are oftentimes not really making anything. Uh, So I I just, I hope that that's, that's taken into consideration once these schedules are made and once systems are put into place to figure out how those schedules are made, if that makes sense. I think that's something kind of, as I mentioned, like you're going to see a lot of schools realize like, Hey, we have to put a bigger emphasis on making sure we protect the student athletes. Cause I know, and you mentioned like the type of system has changed, 
but I could argue it also hasn't. I could argue that it went from a benefiting the college and the university to now benefiting more of the student athlete in the fact that NIL is a thing. Um, whether um, it is a good thing or a bad thing, the way it is right now, um, we could talk about a different time if we want, uh, but it is a thing and it's in full force. And that's been massive help for the athlete. I think ultimately my attention goes to what happens next. Because you mentioned it, Stanford, Cal, Washington State, and Oregon State are still the Pac-4 as of this very moment. And, you know, conversation are being had. Could they merge with some of the Midwest schools? It's going to be your Fresno State, San Diego State, San Jose State, Nevada, schools of that nature. Could there be a merger there and you combine with them? Let me just tell you straight up. The four Pac-12 remaining schools are just in a different echelon than the Mountain West Conference schools. They will clearly be the dominant teams in that conference. And look, that happens with every conference. There's always the four or five teams that are just better than everyone. That always ends up being the case. But this would just create a really weird power dynamic because you'd have a you know, power five conference merging with a group of five conference of which four of those teams are definitely better than the rest. I'm intrigued to see what avenue these four schools go forward. If they even stick with the Apple-based subscription model, the Pac-12 was going to potentially go through. Because I personally think that is a awful model and you should not subject your schools and your fans to have to go through that model. It's it's the wild, wild west out here, man. And I I don't fully know what we're going to see next, but whatever domino is next to fall, I'm excited to see what happens. And I think we're going to close out the episode with a uh, an Anthony rant. So, oh, uh, yeah. Anthony, <laughs> if you will. Um, maybe we'll make that a segment. That's kind of fun. Oh, no. I don't think we need to. I don't. To be honest, I don't. I don't think we have to make it a. We don't have to make it a. We'll mess with the names. All right. We'll workshop it. Every every once in a while, you get a little rant going on uh, something I'm not entirely knowledgeable about. Um, Because, again, I don't watch baseball usually unless I'm being paid to do so. Uh, Anthony watches it for fun. Unlike yes. so that's that's why we're a good team. Is we're opposites. We watch sports that the other doesn't watch. You know, it works out. Um, but you said before we recorded that something's really something's really bothering you in the MLB world right now. So I would love to hear your rant before we close out this episode. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate Chelsea you giving me the floor and really allowing me the opportunity to do this. I just need to say that I am just. And I'm going to be calm. I'm going to try and be calm while I do this. You don't have so I to. My, I, I understand that. But I, just, I feel <laughs> There's like, no rules. I feel like I need to be calm while I do this. All right. You do your best. I believe in you. I am not happy at all with the way the game is being officiated by umpires calling balls and strikes. It is, it is beyond, beyond dumb. It's not even dumb anymore. It's It's stupid. It's it's just completely wrong. Everything about it, the way they're doing it, is just so bad. It's 
I remember I was watching this happened yesterday. So one example that I'm going to say happened yesterday. It was August 15th. The Boston Red Sox were playing the Washington Nationals. And it was a game that was, you know, normal. It was a close game. And pitcher throws the ball. It is a pitch that looks like a ball. The reason it looks like a ball, Chelsea, is because it is it is a ball. And it mm-hmm. is, it's not even mm-hmm. close. It's it's one thing if it's close, you know, like that's a gimme call. We're used to that, like whatever. However, you're feeling on day umpire, you'll call that whatever. It is like away. Like it is like a foot off the plate. That is a ball, 100 percent And you're like, oh, okay, that's a ball. The runner, full count, by the way, the batter goes to mo this Justin Turner goes to motion toward taking the walk. Goes over, throws his bat away, starts to undo his leg straps, his guard straps on his feet. And then the umpire rings him up. That's strike three, you're out. And everyone kind of looks around like, excuse me? Are you watching the same thing we just watched? Because clearly, that was ball four. Everyone hated the call. Even the announcers. Now, granted, they were likely Red Sox announcers, so they may have been a little partial toward Boston, but they had no idea what was happening. To further my point, I was watching the game a couple weeks ago at this point. It was Diamondbacks twins. Diamondbacks had a runner on, I believe, first and second with two outs. Cattell Marte was at the plate. Similar situation. Bull count. Pitch is thrown. Pitch that. Should have been a ball. Definitely outside of the plate. Marte goes to motion. That's a ball. Nope. Strike three. Rings him up. It deprives us from a glorious moment. If that was a walk, like it should have been called, bases loaded, two outs. The young star Corbin Carroll is at the plate. and The D-backs have a massive chance to win the game. Instead, they get a strike three called on a bad call to go home. Everything's over. I just, I just, I'm done with it. I tweeted out a couple weeks ago. I'm excited for the robo umps. I'm, I'm. You just know what? So I was about to say, are you in favor of robo umps then? Yeah, in in the manner of balls and strikes, yes. I think if you want to have umpires call, you know, plays at the different bases, plays at the plate, totally, completely fine. In fact, I would like that to continue happening. Yeah. You're an ump out there. You're going to monitor foul balls and whatnot. You're going to monitor if there's fighting to break people up. You're going to do all the things that umps normally do, but just leave the balls and strikes to a machine, man. I don't, it's not that hard. I, for me, I watch sports like tennis and soccer that have very fast, very honest, very easy replay. So we can see did the ball touch the line? Yes or no. If it did, cool. Then it's in or it's a goal, whatever. And if it didn't, okay, fine. Then it's not. I don't know why baseball can't do the same thing. Why we can't. Oh, oh, that one's questionable. What What are we What are we sure that is? Okay, that one's a well, strike. They don't, yeah, they don't strike. have a review system, right? So you, They do not have a review system. Wait, so strikes. would you be fine with normal human ump, but a review system of some kind? It's, it depends on what it looks like, because if if I'm given 
two like let's say two um two times i'm allowed to challenge a call to overturn it obviously you'd be careful with when you're going to use them but it shouldn't be my job to make up for when an umpire is terrible that's not my fault to make up for your shortcomings like i'm not that's not on me to do and now if you if you know anyone in the baseball community the big names are angel hernandez cb buckner they're they're there are some good umpires. I want to make sure I make this clear. There are good umpires who are good at doing their job, who are really good. I totally get it. But those guys in particular, man, like they're just they're just not good. They consistently game after game, inning after inning, they just make terrible calls. And there's no there's no justice being done at all. If a player is bad or in bad form or he's not playing well. He'll get sent down to the minor leagues. He'll get told to work on something. The pitching's not as good in the minor leagues. So you'll kind of get your mojo back, play better, and then they'll bring you back up when you're better. There's nothing like that for umpires. You continually have bad performances because they go, if you don't know, they go through and they grade how you did based on what you got right and whatnot. So you get like a report card in a way. Yeah, I've seen those. But some of these umpires are just, bad and it may not the numbers may not look like they're bad but if you're at 88 percent correct at a baseball game that's bad like you need to be in the 96 95 range and even a little below that it's like hey like i saw somebody that was like 92 percent. i was like you missed some critical calls like that was pretty bad to be in the 80s at all is just terrible these guys just need to go away. It reminds me, it reminds me in the NBA whenever Scott Foster re- refs an don't, NBA game. Don't even get me started on Scott I, Foster. Obviously, I know his Suns fans were were not fans of Scott Foster, but even team other teams in general, just like, oh, we have Scott Foster. Okay, we lost the game today. That was good. And, and teams do that. It's becoming that way with umpires now. With certain umpires, it's like, oh, okay, so there's just going to be a lot of bad calls today because that's how the ump is. It shouldn't be that way. It's not that hard. I don't know why we can't just use technology to be like, oh, wow. Like, you know, on our TV screens, digitally in there, there's a box. I don't know why we can't light up that box and say, hey, that's the box. If it's touching the line, it's a strike. If it's or if it's if it's inside or touching the line, it's a strike. Obviously, if it's outside the line, it's not touching at all. It's a ball. That that that's it. I don't I don't know why we're not. And I think the reason that we're not is because they don't want it to take long. They don't want it to be like, oh yeah, that was a you know, we have to okay, pitch was thrown. Now let's look over on a screen. Okay, that was the call. They don't want it to take a long time. But if you can get it down to almost science where it's not gonna take a long time, it's gonna be really easy and simple. I'm just a fan of the robots. I just want to see him get it right. Because I've seen so many times where it's one thing if it's a borderline call and they don't give it to you, then it's like, oh, it's just a bad break. It's tough to see. But when they're blatant calls that are just being missed, it's like, what are you looking at? Chelsea's been with me to baseball games. I've said some, you know, not so airworthy things 
uh, to umpires over my time as a sports fan. It is true. But I, I just, I don't get it, man. Like, I, I don't know. It bugs me. It bugs me so much because it's just day after day. It just seems at least one, oftentimes multiple, just blown calls, just blatantly being wrong. I'll look on the trending tab on social media, and it's just people calling out umpires by name, saying that was awful. Like, we're going to lose because this guy. See, and someone asked me the other day if I would ever go into officiating for the NBA or the WNBA. Because let's be honest here, all right? I don't know softball or baseball enough to be an ump. I really don't know any other sport besides basketball enough where I feel like I could officiate it. But no, no, ever, not ever, didn't hesitate to say no. I would never want to be a ref because of of how people are on social media. Because Mm -hmm. even if I was a good ref, Good refs make bad calls sometimes. Oh, yeah. And if I did that in an NBA Finals game or just an NBA game in general, really, or WNBA game in general, social media would come down hard. Hard. And that's why I try not to, like, insult refs too much unless something is really bad or the ref's name is Scott Foster. Um, I try not to be terrible to them on social media. Really, like, if you look through... Like, my Twitter, like, what I've said on Twitter, I don't think you'll see a lot of me insulting refs. I don't like that. I don't subscribe to that that narrative of blaming the refs for everything. Um, but I think occasionally they make really bad calls in every sport at every level. Um, there, was a few, <laughs> there was a few times, we'll close out with this, with this story and then any final thoughts, but there was a few times when I was playing in elementary school that the ref that was scheduled just wouldn't show up. Uh, And so my dad would ref. And so he was kind of, you know, everyone would know that was my dad or that he at least came from my elementary school or whatever. And so I remember there was this one game that I still give him crap for to this day, that this girl two drives in a row shoved me when I went up to lay up the ball. And he called it a foul the first time. And the second time he just said out of bounds on me. And that was the only time I ever screamed at a ref. Was my dad when I was 12 years old, not calling it a foul. And he says to this day, he was like, well, I already called it. I didn't want people to think I was biased. And I was like, but you just need to be a good ref. All right. So when it comes, my point is when it comes to human refs and any sport, they make mistakes. Sometimes they're emotionally charged and sometimes they're just bad calls. Um, So I think you will see robot officiating um, in certain sports, at certain levels to a certain extent. But I think you can't really get rid of humans. Um, first of all, for like a, a moral standpoint, like a yeah. lot of people would be losing jobs. For sure. And I think people are already afraid of that with AI. And I think if that happened with... I saw an AI commentator the other day for, for golf. That scared me genuinely to my core. Hated hearing that. It was super boring. Would probably only ever work for golf, at least with the way technology is now. But... I digress. Um, refing is bad sometimes, and I know the that baseball is, and softball really are sports that are very hard to officiate, and so a lot of times they make horrible, terrible mistakes in moments that would completely change a game. Yeah, I think the big thing for me kind of wrapping up is like 
especially with baseball and softball, like most of that, especially in the home plate umpire, that's based on eyesight. That is clearly based on what I see and what I think. Now, let's be real. They're not at a good angle anyway. They have to judge, not only do they have to judge height, how high are you compared to where I need you to be, but also width. To the left and to the right, where are you? You can say, oh, that's easy. Like, did it touch the plate? They have a good view of the plate. Clearly, they don't. Clearly, they don't. I, I do not. I, I just, I don't get it. Like, it's just replay as a whole in American sports. It's just really bad, to be honest. Like, tennis and soccer and all these big European-dominated sports are really good at all this replay stuff. They have an advanced technology. I watched the football game a couple years ago, and they couldn't tell how close they were with their metal chains they use to measure things. My man, my head ref, pulled out an index card, a 3 by 5 card that I would have on my materials list when I was in 7th grade. He pulled <laughs> out an index card and measured the length of the football to see if it was a first down. Why do not we? Why don't we have chips and and technology that can measure this? So I don't have to go on these rants more often. I don't want to have a rant segment dedicated to my name because I got to be honest, that was a terrible name, and we really got to wow. workshop it. If I want to right. do it more often, we need to workshop it more, and that's fine. But I want to get to a point okay. where I don't have to go on rants about officiating. And I hope we can get there at one point. All right, fine. I'll put Ranthony away. I thought it was funny. I thought it was a good, you know, play on, you know, a little pun. But whatever, it's fine. We'll workshop it. We'll, we'll talk workshop. about it after this episode because yeah. we're going to call it here. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed another kind of variety episode for us. I think you'll probably see a lot of that um, this time of year, probably for another few weeks until we really get into, like, NFL season, NBA season, playoff baseball. Like that. Yeah. So, you know, October will be fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, but for now, it's kind of just us coming up with whatever we can come up with. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening to hopefully all 10 episodes. And you better have rated us five stars because Anthony's still threatening. That threat still oh, yeah. stands and it will stand forever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so thank you guys again so much. Um, follow us on social media. I'm at Chelsea underscore underscore mend. Um, he's at Anthony Ferrero seven. Also follow us on X and Instagram at TFC underscore sports underscore pod for updates. Um, and eventually we're going to get clips up. Still working on that. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much. And we will see you in episode 11.